Hey, what's up, guys? Chad Hermanson here with Mental Edge Training Coach. Today, I'll be chatting with Brian Green. Brian Green is the head coach at the Washington State University. He has been coaching for a long time, has been around the block, has been with many teams. I met him at New Mexico State University, where he was the head coach for a few years. So we're going to dive into Coach Green's philosophy on a lot of different things about recruiting, how he goes about recruiting players, what type of players he looks for, all types of different stuff in this episode. So enjoy this conversation with Coach Brian Green. Coach Green, what's going on, man? How are we doing in Washington State? We are rolling up here, Chad. It's <laughs> Falls a great place to be up here in Pullman, and we're excited to be here. It's a great opportunity, and uh, thanks for having us on. But we're, we're fired up up here. Love it, man. So the, we first met at New Mexico State, where you were the head coach out there, uh, scouting with the Angels at that point as, as well. And, and you are went from Las Cruces, which is an interesting area, all the way to Pullman. So what, what's been that transition like for you? Um, there's, there's certainly some similarities culturally. And when I say culture, uh, college town, although this is college town um, on HGH, I mean, this place is insane. <laughs> um, everything is about the Cougs. Uh, you know, there's, there's just a Cougar store here and then five miles down the road of just Cougar gear. There's Cougar paw prints at the intersections of all the of all the lights and there's only about 10 in Pullman, but um, you know, similarities that the, the university feeds everything. So it makes being a part of the university kind of an energizing deal uh, up here. Just obviously being in the PAC 12 is, is a, is a different beast than it was in Las Cruces. Uh, we certainly don't have the Mexican food, uh, but <laughs> we, have and we have steaks up here, right. uh, you know, and then you've got PAC 12 uh, fanatics, uh, people who really care, and uh, it's a great, great opportunity for us uh, to come up here to a place with a new facility coming in. And it's, it was a tremendous opportunity. It kind of floored me at the time. You don't see a lot of whack-to-pack transitions from a coaching perspective. And uh, we know how fortunate we are. So pretty fired up. That's awesome. So you've been, you've been in Washington State for a little while now. This is what, was this your second year? Your third year going into? Yeah, so beginning year two. Uh, yeah. Last year, year one, uh, we go nine and seven. Uh, we were the, to give you an idea, I mean, Chad, we were the Washington State comeback sports team of the year, and people were absolutely just jacked, you know, and we went nine and seven, but it was seven and two in our last nine. We were starting to compete. Uh, it was getting fun, you know, we were showing some ratio at the plate, we were showing some energy. We were really excited. We were just about ready to start uh, Pac 12 play. Cal was coming up here. Uh, and then Mike and I are on the phone on Wednesday and Thursday, everything is, is canceled or postponed. And then here we are six months later, which feels like three years ago, but <laughs> I've been up here uh, just about a year now. I got the job in, uh, in June of, of, 20, of 19 and uh, here we are in September of uh, 20. So it's, it's yeah. gone fast. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. So we're time of this recording. We're in the middle of September. You guys are going through some fires. We got fires in California and in Oregon, Washington. How's that affecting you guys right now? We've had a few days uh, inside with air quality issues, but uh, you know we're Chad, one of the fortunate schools, and that's what we keep reminding our kids of: is look, if you're in California right now, you may not have the opportunity to even step on the field uh, or onto your facility resource-wise. 
So for us, we're one of the few schools in the pack that gets to practice right now. Um, we're in individual instruction right now. We chose to do that, not start team just with COVID. Um, all the spacing that we have to do, we wanted to try to stretch that as long as we can, as well as obviously we have weather issues here trying to get to November 1st. But, uh, you know, for us, the, the fires have put us inside a couple days. We've got a really nice indoor facility. It's just made really long days for the coaches uh, in small groups with COVID and spacing. But we're about ready to start team practice on the 19th of September. Um, our first inner squad will be on the 24th, and we're one of the few shows going. So we're excited about seeing a lot of scouts out here watching practice. That's awesome. So you have – now, you guys, are you a full – I've never been to your field. I've never been up into Pullman. Are you a full turf field? We are. We're full turf. Uh, it's an Astro turf field. The, Astro, the company Astro Turf is really nice. It's got the stripes on it. Turf mound, uh, as you see a lot in the northwest. Um, we've got a 3,000-seat stadium, similar to, to Jackie Robinson, just in terms of the shape of it. It's just a little bowl where you walk in and elevate. Um, mm. It's just a bowl. We're, we're hoping to do the same thing that, that Coach Sab did at UCLA with uh, getting the, the hard chairs all the way around. We've got a 1,500 uh, chair back, and then we've got 1,500 bleacher. Um, and then a $10 million facility is, is, as we speak, really close to completion, all in classroom, locker room, nutrition lounge, players lounge, conference room, all the offices, uh, weight room, equipment room with all of our Nike training room. Uh, pretty cool, pretty exciting. And that's going to fill up uh, the entire uh, third base line, essentially. So uh, yeah. we're almost completed with that. And that's impacted recruiting, as you can imagine, like crazy. You know, it's the thoughts kind of came to my head as you were saying all of these new things are coming, right? And and you look at a D1 program, you're like, well, th this this school's been a D1 school for a long time. Like, why now? Like, why are we getting all this, all these funds, these new, you know, UNLV was the same way here locally, where they, they had just kind of mediocre facilities, you know, so what, why does it take so long for colleges to upgrade their facilities, you think? Yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's support and it's leadership. I just, Look, Chad, I mean, I, I've said this and, and yeah, it's early on. I was like, this guy's Looney Tunes. He thinks he can get it going there. But uh, we were fortunate enough that we did the, kind of the same thing in New Mexico State. We had some support come in. Obviously, the facility changed. That changed the value statement of the program. And then here comes Nick Gonzalez and Ortiz and Bradish, and you got a pretty good, pretty good roster. But um, walking into this, Chad, this is a, you know, it's a Pac-12 job. And mm -hmm. I didn't know that the facility was coming in. I just knew that it was the Pac-12 in a college town, you know, in a program that had been down a little bit. And I was like, that, that's right up my alley. You know, you go in there and, and fix that thing up and get people excited. But with to answer your question, it just was right place, right time. I go into an interview room and the plans are on the wall. Mm. And, you know, there's an excited president, uh, Kirk Schultz, uh, at Washington State, who believes in athletics and the value of it, the importance of it. You've got Pat Sean, the athletic director, uh, an absolute pro, um, and his leadership team. So, I mean, there's a lot of juice and energy right now. You know, we've got another project going, the, the IPF, which is close. If that happens, football will be getting a new $21 million indoor, which we'll all benefit from. So I came in right place, right time. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the leadership said we've got to do this and it's got to happen. So for us to come in and now with that value statement, that matches really the rest of the Northwest with Oregon and Washington and Oregon state, you know, they all have nice facilities for us to join them at a place like Washington state. Um, you know, we've been to Omaha four times here. Yeah. Uh, we've had some great players come through here. John Olerud, one of the best two way guys of all time, but uh, 
but it just hasn't happened in a long time. So right place, right time, and big-time leadership, to be quite honest. We really do have it. I'm, I'm really fortunate to be a part of the team. Yeah, that's awesome. So essentially, it's coming from the top. It says, forget this. We, we need to start upgrading. Obviously, from let's talk about recruiting from that standpoint where, you know, a player – is say from from a California or somewhere where it's sunny it's it's great weather all the time where you guys are it's going to be a little bit a lot of rain right a little some clouds stuff going on how do you guys combat and I guess battle the maybe the warm weather climate athlete coming up to Pullman yeah that's a great question and a real question you know and that's one of the things that that we I just we believe in alignment Chad it's such mm -hmm. an important piece in the recruiting process process so like very upfront you know in our recruiting presentations here is the weather it will be cold we're gonna be inside in January um, and you have to be good with that you know for us from a recruiting standpoint when we talk about or when we meet with families it's like look if you want urban big city um, <laughs> if you want that this isn't the right place for you if you love college towns if that's right up your alley and that's cool um, you're going to like it here. Um, if, if you want to go on a little baseball retreat for three months or three years, I should say, um, this is your place. But when we talk about weather, we've got awesome falls and we've got obviously big time college football environment. It's just, it's so mm -hmm. thick up here. People are crazy about the Cougs. Um, so you've got a clean fall. So there's no issue there. Our issue is January, February, and potentially March. So how do we combat that? Well, two things. We've got a great indoor hitting facility. Again, when I got the job here, we were able to upgrade some things there. We changed it around. So it's, it's four huge tunnels. It's mirrored all the way around. There's murals everywhere, but we've got a nice indoor. Mm -hmm. Now with the $10 million facility that we have, we have the technology in the classroom and all of our video goes in there, plus the weight room right there next to the offices. So from a training perspective, we're good. And then the bottom line is, is when, when February 16 or 24 hits, depending on what, when, what week we're starting year in, year out, we've got finances. So we just hit the road. And, you know, so for us, um, when I got the job, I just told our administration, look, we're not going to try to squeeze somebody in here in week three. It's too cold. Yeah. Let's let, it is what it is. Um, so we go on the road for four weeks and, you know, we're going to Hawaii in 22. We went to Hawaii this year. Um, mm. We're going to partner with the Mariners. We already started this year in week three, where we just bring somebody in neutral, uh, a cold weather school from the Northeast, bring them in in Arizona during spring training time um, and do it. So for us, it's like we get spring training. We go three weeks on the road, maybe four. And then when you hit pack, you're alternating all the time anyways. So yeah, really not much of an issue other than our preparation in February of getting outside. That, that's probably the biggest thing would be for us that would be a, an obstacle, but it's not. We just go outside and it's, it's cold and we practice and then we go on the road and we go three days outside and our kids are like, wow, I get to, I get to do that. You know, <laughs> stay on top of school, but you know, fortunate for us uh, financially, it's just not an issue in New Mexico state. It'd be an issue. You know, we have to be at home. We can't afford to go out. You right. know? Um, we're very fortunate that way. It's really, there's not a lot of hurdles other than the perception really. Yeah. It's, I mean, I was just thinking too, as you were talking about that is that's basically what every East coast team deals with, right? It's the same thing. There's only really a few California, Arizona, Vegas, Texas, you know, those warmer climate areas where they don't have to really worry about that, even though 
at the four corners when we start we start like the last weekend in january here in vegas it's freezing it's freezing right? we got dsn all these junior colleges coming it's freezing and usually it is for like the first week two three weeks and then you start getting to february it starts to get more yeah. baseball weather springy right in in arizona and it's beautiful and so yeah that's that seems to be um kind of a minor issue in a way because that's what every east coast team deals with so it is yeah. it just God, I, you know and i went through it last year with having our first fall and uh, having our first spring yeah i didn't really notice it you know aside from you're just inside in january but last year we we weren't <laughs> yeah <laughs> Old, really come we're outside so um unless the weather is shutting us down and, and for us we get temperatures we don't necessarily get a lot of rain in pullman uh you'll get some snow that'll stick for a while um and then we just get cold so um, yeah okay you get yeah so and you know we've got a ton of arizona kids on the roster that won't change if we do our job uh we'll hopefully continue to have that niche um that we had at new mexico state but um yeah. pac-12 you know that's gonna people are gonna they're gonna answer the phone for you yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you know, yeah. Awesome. So so on that same note, let's talk about when you're recruiting. You know, you've been – we talked about you're a hitting guy. You've been a head coach, but you're a hitting guy. You specialize in that. From a hitting standpoint, when you're going out to scout a high school kid, what are some of the intangibles that you look for as a coach? Well, that's a great question, and that's something that when we talk alignment with our staff and recruiting, you know, Terry, our recruiting coordinator, does a great job. He'll, he'll text or send me a video on every guy that he's considering. And he's just like, what do you think? How does this look? But, you know, the, the, with recruiting, it's so young at this point. You know, you're recruiting sophomores, potentially freshmen even. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, strength is certainly – you like it, but you have to really project the strength with the athleticism of the body. Uh, but what I look at as a hitting guy – is what can and can't we um, alter or impact? You know, I feel like as a hitting coach, you can impact lower half. It's a pretty easy adjustment of awareness and a proper launch position. The thing that for me, um, if you look at a guy who's not separated, that can be a real challenge when guys have dead hands. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what I look for is just, we call it, it's just the R's, but we look for rhythm recognition and then bat speed is the, is the third, yeah. which is, action of our three R's but but rhythm and recognition literally is there some version when I say recognition for us is there some hand movement as the ball is in flight and it's not dead forward because that projects for us to have breaking ball trouble in my my experience Chad um, just trying to alter hand path and bat path uh, really challenging for a hitting coach and you know that we're trying to speed the clock up and we don't have a lot of time mm -hmm. so, if a guy doesn't have separation, um, I tend to tell uh, Terry, hey, let, let's pay close attention to that one unless, you know, the bat speed's tremendous. But, but rhythm at the plate, the ability to recognize or have separation, and then obviously we're trying to project bat speed. Yeah. But those things I look for, you know, if a guy's maybe off balance a little bit, that's okay. I think you can fix that. I've, we've had a lot of success uh, just really working from the waist down and then try to recruit guys from the waist up where it really works, you know, and they're really using their hands and they have a pretty clean path. It's similar to working for coach Savage um, in pitching, you know, and, and he's telling us as recruiters, Hey, you know, if, if there's, if you see something down at the bottom where something is a little out of whack, that that's hard to really fix. We're really looking for just a nice clean path. Even if the velocity is not there, if the path is clean and the body's athletic, it'll probably come. So uh, I kind of try on that note, explain, 
what that what does that mean to our audience when it, if it's not clean what does that look like yeah so you know from a throwing perspective if it's a stab if it's just not a nice clean circle if it's a stab if it's a hook if there's some action at the bottom where it's not just nice rhythmic same thing maybe it's a pause at the top where we're surrounding or hooking the baseball what you're really looking for is a nice clean circle same thing with the bat path just in terms of a clean path um, you know, is there at the launch position, do we just begin rotation on a nice clean arc? Is there a drop or is there a hook or is there a hand movement? That would be an unclean path. So really what we're talking about for the annual listener is just a nice clean fluidic circle or a nice clean fluidic action where there's no jerk and move and stab. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because as a, when we're scouting pitchers in particular, you know, if we see big movements that are you know, they may be they may be able to repeat those a little bit, and we see all those type of guys in the big leagues. Yeah. But we're also we're, we're typically trying to recruit, or I should say, scout and draft starters. You know, so we want clean arm action for the most part. Um, those are analytical things that staffs, front offices will take a look at, really break down on video. And you may love, I may love a guy in my area like this is my number one guy but he may get dinged right away because it might not be a clear arm path or clean arm path. And you're like, but this guy's 95 with three pitches and can get guys out, you know? Right. So it's interesting how, um, from your perspective, I'm sure you, you're, is there a, because we talked to high school pitchers in particular, right? Where they, they're always concerned with below, right? Coming in, coming from high school. Is there a certain, Maybe it's a threshold of velocity that you're like, hey, if we're scouting a righty, he needs to be at least throwing this hard. He needs to have these type of pitches. Are there any, I guess, starting points that you really want to see there? That's a great question because I think, like, Chad, for example, from a recruiting standpoint, if there's a left-hander, he's a tall, skinny lefty, and he's a sophomore, and he's 82, 84, but it works, we're still going to be probably pretty interested yeah. on his, his height, as you know. Um, from a right-handed perspective, you know, I, I think 88 is probably the magic number just in terms of going down with youth. Um, you know, junior, are you, are you around that 88 mark? You know, if you're, mm. if you're right-handed 82, 84, um, you probably don't need to be uh, sending letters out, especially if you're a senior, you know, to, to division one programs just quite yet, you know, you might be, in, as you know, but, um, but for us, I think it really varies, you know, athleticism, body projection, how the arm works. Uh, but somewhere in that high 80s range, certainly if you're a senior, I just, you know, it starts to go down. But if you're a senior, you really do need to be looking around 90 miles an hour. Yeah. So we 92 to four in college, you know, as you're, as a sophomore, 90 is, is just such an average velocity these days for everybody. You know, 95 is now being <laughs> so, uh, but for us, it would be 90 and then we'll get into the change up. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's a whole different animal, right? If Kenny, does he have a secondary pitch? Does he have a change up? Yeah, it's, and I, I tell kids all the time, I'm like, look, like 92 on our scouting scale is a five, which is an average fastball. So that's just average. So if you have a kid in high school that's touching 92, but he's really more 87 to 92 and really pitching at 87, 88, that's like a three fastball. Okay. Now, now that's not saying it's going to get better in a couple of years, but just pointing that out, like 90 is a four. So that's a below average fastball. So 
that I just want to point that out for the listeners with high school pitchers that that was 90 was like, dude, this guy's throwing 90 in high school, which is awesome. Right. You got to get there. Um, so I just wanted to hear from an actual coach. Like, yeah, we're looking for 88, probably around 90 if, to your senior year. That's where we would like you to be if you're going to come pitch for a Pac-12 school. Right. And have hopefully a, a secondary pitch and a changeup. No question. <laughs> you better. <laughs> you better. Yeah. So that's awesome. So you're, let, let's dive into hitting because that's your specialty. Um, we talked before you – even you've been a head coach at a lot of different spots and an assistant at a lot of different spots. Heck, we could probably go for an hour on all the places you've been when I've, when, I, when I've looked at your spot, but, but let's talk about hitting more. Um, you said you've been, even during COVID during this time, you've talked to um, some major league guys from the hitting standpoint. What have you learned since then? And, and how do you approach really hitting in general? Yeah. You know, I, I, I just want to get better each and every year. And I know that my personality, we, we do some crazy stuff, Chad. We, I mean, we do personality testing with our coaches and our players. And we even have our, our personality and our personality index scores next to our hitting notes just for me. So I can just quickly remember this personality needs more facts. This personality needs less facts. This guy needs to be really hands-on. You know, because at the end of the day, our players are our product of teaching um, and when we when we promise families that we're going to recruit and develop your son's skills, it's going to start with him being a person first, player second. But with regards to the hitting piece, you know, and talking to all those coaches over the break, um, I really wanted to dive into the technology side of just trying to learn it, not from anything other than evaluating numbers. Uh, you know, at the college level, you know, we're not going to live analytically. We don't have the data to do that, to defend it. We also have the data to utilize it. Uh, as you have maybe a history of, you know, what you're doing. Um, but for us, you know, I had a lot of great reinforced learning um, over the break. Um, when I talk to major league hitting coaches versus when we talk to, you know, hitting coaches that are, are, are in the, the industry of just development, whether really it was not winning, you yeah. know, I guess that's what I said. Um, I really found, um, you know, with, with Joe D or with Anthony, those are two guys who I, I oppose to and, and Dylan, those guys are just rock stars in my opinion, just in terms of how they go about it. Totally different terminologies, totally different how they view hitting, but then at the same time, um, really simplify. So for us, you know, where did it go into um, dominating a launch position? And, you know, and this is at the pro level. Mm -hmm. simplifying what you're doing you know and that's as a college guy the biggest thing that I see with guys who go from college to pros and then come back to college and work out with us is they have simplified because they have to they have to survive yeah they have there's excess movement we've got to really simplify that but um dominating a launch position and, and so for us for me as a hitting coach what can we do to impact that? Well, we need repetition, but first off, we've got to really teach it. So something as simple, it's not sexy to talk about the four keys to a launch position. You know, that's not going to sell a lot of videos. <laughs> that's the key. Right. You know, you, one, get to a great base. And then two, you've got to understand how to start your swing. You know, the kinetic chain, if you will, but uh, how to maximize energy for us, you know, working from the ground up. I just spend a ton of time on launch, and we spend a ton of time on working from the ground up. And this is the two things that I really got answered over the break as well. 
um, at the pro level is that that initial movement. You know, if we can really have a tight, clean movement of, you know, the backside is, is up, the hands are still high, we're still separated, we're beginning rotation, the hands are still back and strong, then really the swing becomes pretty easy. Mm -hmm. uh, the challenge for us at our level is to get our guys to think more professionally when they're doing their work on a daily basis, you know, really being invested in the process of the swing and the process of feel um, versus the process of the result, you know, have so many of our freshmen come in and it's all about how many rods I hit MVP versus what are you really working on? Is it contact point? You know, is it depth? Um, is it balance? Um, those are the things that are, we really try to do a great job of. If you look at Ortiz and Gonzalez at New Mexico state, that's where they blew up right. where they that mentality where it became, or even Carranza for that matter, where it became understanding it's about your daily process and your reps in the cage, you know, BP is just rhythm. And that's, if we're working on rhythm, let's dominate rhythm. If we're working on a specific pitch, let's work on that, but let's not be concerned with where it's going. Let's have a routine and let's dominate that on a daily basis. When you talk about if a, if a parent or a player say like working from the ground up, like, what does that mean? How do you explain that to a kid? Yeah, I just look at pictures. I, it's This is a great topic. Um, as a 25-year-old hitting coach, I was out trying to grab pictures of hitters that matched what I thought the swing should be or what I was trying to sell. With as much data and video that is out there today, I mean, a parent could could be could be a good evaluator of hitters. If you just went out and said, Grab me every left-handed and right-handed video that we can find online. And, and let's make sure that when we're looking at hitters, we're looking at a five foot eight hitter and a six foot four hitter. That's both left and right-handed. Mm -hmm. A hitter who has high hands and low hands, a hitter who has a big leg kick versus a hitter who is really quiet and doesn't have much of a stride. Let's look at all those and bunch them up. And then let's go to, Let's start their swing and when they're in their when their feet are grounded, which lasts for about that long. Yeah. Feet are grounded. What do all these hitters look like? And then, so when we say what does it mean to work from the ground up, what's the first thing that happens? And that we evaluate, look at, and try to dominate is when the front heel gets down, the back heel comes up. And so if we've got our hitters in a launch position where we're down and up, where the back heel is up and the hands are still high you've got a chance to really put together a nice swing with rotation and balance. Um, the one thing that is critical, Chad, as you know, is and where we give hitters a lot of bad information is, is where is the weight in terms of where is the distribution of weight? You know, okay. we believe, I believe, and we teach, man, we get our guys into their front sides and we get them into it. Um, and they stay there. You know, so many hitting coaches, particularly at the youth level are, stay back stay back stay back stay back means a lot may mean a lot different to me than it does to you so I think we really have to define that so when we talk about dominating that launch position I think you look at pro hitters don't see guys laying back because that's going to create drift that's going to create collapse it's going to create tilt you know we're trying to as soon as our feet get grounded we're just rotating mm -hmm. the, working from the ground up or the you know the the chain yeah we do a ton of preset stuff. Uh, we do a ton of get on the front leg hard. And I try to teach our guys, look, take a look at that. 
and get really heavy here. Get on your front side really heavy. In fact, we have a goofy drill where we, we've got like 80% of our weight on our front side and our front side is completely broken and bent. Okay. And you say rotate. And there is no drift. There is no tilt. There is no body change. The head stays perfectly still and we just rotate. And it's just a clear kind of a feel example of, look, man, if the more you get into your front leg firm, not over it, but into it, when you rotate, you're not going to have any mechanical issues with where we all do, you know, where we're shifting and drifting and all those things. And, you know, even to go back to that uh, recruiting question, that is one thing that we look at, how much drift is there, you know, and how much front side is there versus backside. You know, there's a guy for me that I have a hard time coaching, you know, and I just think you have to know that too as a coach. But um, anyways, ground up is launch position. And, and the first action that we see is the feet and the back knee. That, when we get down at launch, those things should be towards the pitcher and the back foot should be up in the air, the back heel anyways, with some space. Okay. If it's collapsing, I think you're going to have a problem. So you, so you work ground up. You, so, so sometimes, and I, it's funny you mentioned that because sometimes when I go watch a hitter for the first time, that's usually where my eyes go. And a parent will be like, why are you looking at his feet and his lower half? Like, because it starts there, right? Yeah. Usually our eyes want to go up top and see where the hands are. And so go ahead. Yeah. And, and I think Chad, you know, with us being in different professions, like the, the I feel like we can really impact ground up um, and teach it. it. It takes some time, but mm -hmm. um, well, hand path is, there's no way, but at the pro level, you know, that better be in place, you know, cause we don't, right. I mean, <laughs> you survive right now. And if you've got a drift or some action where your, your lower half is, is inefficient, <laughs> you're going to get swallowed up in, in your last year in minor league baseball with, with sliders. So, um, yeah. you know, for us, we have a little more time with that, but yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly at the elite college player, certainly at the high pack 12 or the high power five level, those guys have clean lower halves So there's rhythm and they have a, an understanding of how the lower half is supposed to work. Yeah. So you, you talked a lot about getting into a good launch angle, a launch position, not launch angle, but how does that, so you, you start working ground up and we start going feet all the way up, your back knee, all that stuff. Then you finally get up to your hands. What are, you said you had some kind of keys there. What are some of those keys that can help hitters? You know, for the, for the, obviously it's hitting, you know, get to a clean launch position. There's the four keys to launch. And, and for us, it's 50-50. It's online with posture, literally where you're in athletic position. Uh, your weight distribution is 50-50 on the front and the back side. And then your hands, can you define hands back? That's an easy one. But just if you look into the mirror, you know, are my hands behind my back knee at my launch position? And then are my, is my bat angled somewhere near a catcher's glove? Yeah. Uh, we don't talk about necessarily 45 or 62 degrees, but, but somewhere in there where you have some angle and you're not vertical where it's down. But and if you can do that, when we begin our ground up movements and then rotation is coming, to answer your question, the, the key now is, is really – if you've done that and you've done your work at the launch and you've begun the swing properly from the ground up, the swing really becomes pretty basic. If you do that, when you begin rotation, you're going to get slotted, uh, meaning uh, to the parent or the, the, the youth player or any of that. But what does that mean? Well, it means that when we begin rotation, that there's no space between the elbow and the side, you know, it should be jammed into your ribs, but it will happen from rotation. If your bat angle is off when you do that, it's not going to happen. If you've got a good angle and your hands are near your top of your shoulder, when I begin rotation, this thing's going to come right in. And the back arm, the back arm is coming in, you know, and, and that's a big one. 
for us, and that's a big one probably at the pro level, you know, and that's a big one where I think kids are getting a lot of misinformation. And I know that because of our freshmen coming in, we've got a lot of guys who are really jerking that thing back and creating upward angle at the start of the swing. They're force, forcing it to go this way, right? Launch, because we're hearing launch angle uh, on MLB, but we're, we're also, I, I think we're, we're misconstruing it, at, particularly at the teaching level. Um, you know, it's reactive, right? As you know, you know, hitters are, we're swinging up. Well, you know, the, we want to hit the ball of the yard. Awesome. But if the ball is up in the zone, uh, that's, that's, it's a swing and miss. You're no all, chance. Yeah. You have, and so now let, let's not forget hitters that, you know, pitchers are talking about spin rate and we're working at the top of the zone with four seam. And if a guy's got great spin rate, he's going to pump it right by us at the plate. But what I just – the conversation just with our hitters the other day is we've got to, when we swing the bat, we've got to work in a manner where we are at the top of our strike zone where the barrel is slightly above or even with our hands. Mm-hmm. That's a plane with the top of the zone fastball. Yeah. Well, Coach, Red Turner drops his hands. Awesome. Red Turner's top of his strike zone is where his hands are. So right. if it's bad, he doesn't swing at it. He's a tremendous hitter. He's awesome but he understands that. And so when we talk, which we don't talk about launch angle, uh, we talk about plane and we talk about path and we're trying to get on plane with the baseball and the mm. path is trying to be flat and clean. The, nat- the swing is naturally going to go up as you get to extension. And as the swing starts to pass the front foot, the arc of the swing will naturally go up. It's a natural movement. So don't, don't necessarily promote it is what I say. Yeah. Get flat and get on plane. And, for us, the thing you try to we try to explain to our hitters is guys, and just like Coach Claggett is trying to teach our guys to be able to pitch top of the zone with spin rate, but also to have some sink and get under a barrel, is if a guy is 90 miles an hour at the top of the zone, hitters, why would you want to do anything other than just go straight at it? Because he has run right into your bat and you're going to do something with it. So I think hitters need to understand that. So to go back with that hand piece, the elbow's got to get in. The, the bat has got to be even with the bat with the hands and the knob. That thing should be at the middle of the field or slightly, if you're right-handed, to the second baseman. And if you're left-handed, it should be slightly to the shortstop when you start your swing. Um, people can see that, you know, uh, on video. It's There's GIFs everywhere. Watch those hitters. See if you can see front views and back views of how tight that thing is. Because to the hitter, obviously, we know if there's space, you got a hole. Is that, a, is that a conscious move as you get your hands back? Are you thinking, because the ball's coming toward you, are hitters thinking, okay, get the back elbow? Or are they just thinking hands right to the ball and the back elbow will just do what it does? Like, do, does a hitter have to think here with the back elbow? I think, and I think too, too many hitting coaches, myself included, uh, 10 years ago, are too back elbow conscious. Okay. I think by doing that, you start dumping and you start forcing and all those things. That, that, and that's my point with our hitters and how we teach our guys is we really try to focus and force a good firm press, a good launch position, work ground up. And if we've got good uh, weight distribution, when you begin rotation, you're probably going to get in there if the, if the bat angle is clean. Okay. I think, yeah, I think too many coaches are really forcing the elbow. And then we, we get a lot of push and we get unathletic, unnatural. Yeah. Uh, unrhythmic swings you know the swing I have a on one of my powerpoints that we show our hitters I have my daughter at New Mexico State and 
my wife was sitting on a picnic blanket and my four-year-old was running around and my daughter was flipping her tennis balls. And I said, hey, honey, would you film this real quick? And, you know, I'd never done anything with, with Emily in my life. And she's swinging the bat and she's got pretty good balance. And she gets, yeah. I'm like, guys, let's not overcomplicate this thing. You know, <laughs> we, we, we want to work to simplify, you know? Yeah. 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 I was just curious if, because that, that could be just another thought, right. That I'm trying to implement. And if I'm trying to eliminate and just maybe have one thought from a mindset standpoint, you 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 know, and I would like to talk about that. And, um, when you talk to hitters from a, a mindset mentality, you know, what do you, do you discuss like, Hey, you can't have three, four five thoughts. Like what, what do you teach in that regard as far as the mindset and the mental approach to hitting? Yeah. So from a mechanical standpoint, uh, and I will get into the, the approach, but yeah, from a mechanical standpoint, it's, it's literally three things that we talk about just for our guys, mm -hmm. guys. And, and each year I get simpler and simpler and simpler, <laughs> and, but it's intentional. And I try to, you know, and I think when you're a young coach and you're looking up at, at the best hitting coach in the big leagues and he says, Hey, you got to get to a good hit position. You got to work from the ground up. You got to rotate. And you're like, what the, what do you, that's it. That's it. No. There's a secret. It's 47 degrees. You know, it's, it's the, the efficiency of launch angle at this percentage. And, it's, and that's where our brains are because we all want the quick fix. And the old guy who's been around it a long time understands if you dominate the bases, you have a chance to hit. I'll never forget when I heard Tony Gwynn talk. He basically said that. And, and I was, but I was 22 at the time. Mm -hmm. Well, that's ridiculous. That guy can't coach. He can't teach. Well, yes, he can. <laughs> He's mm -hmm. the one of the um, but so from a mechanical standpoint, mentally, those are the three things that we try to get our guys to do. Dominate your launch, ground up, rotate to contact. Yeah. Coach, I need more than that. Okay, well, I'll give you more, but you need to – that's where your brain needs to be in terms of your feel. From an approach standpoint at the plate with the mental piece, it's rhythm and it's recognized. Those are the two things that we talk about, have rhythm and recognize. And then we just try to define what does it mean to have rhythm. How do we define it? Well, we define it as getting into a solid hit position with your backside up when the baseball enters your front foot. So we can at least try to define it, you yeah. know, going BP or doing flips or machine. And it just becomes, if I can arrive at proper launch with backside up at front foot contact, you have rhythm. Mm. Well, what does that mean, coach? Well, it means if the, when the ball entered your front foot, if you were leaning back, or if you were blowing open early, then you were doing something regressive or reactive that didn't get you there how you naturally wanted to get there. So we try to really define our guy's best swing, and then we try to put that into, are you arriving at that baseball with the swing that you have off the tee? If not, your rhythm is off. Well, let's define that now. Where do we need to attack that? It's not get your foot down earlier. Right. We're breaking rhythm again. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, I can't stand that. Get your foot down earlier. And then oh. a kid does it and his foot's down and the guy hasn't even thrown the ball and he's like, he's just <laughs> waiting there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and then that goes into the teaching part too of, you know, if, if you are yelling at a kid to get your foot down earlier, what we really want to be telling him is hey, get to toe touch earlier, but just don't commit the heel quite yet. Yeah. But a lot of people don't understand that, you know, that takes right. a lot be able to really be a good Nelson Cruz, you know, toe rhythm hitter where it's fluid and beautiful. So, you know, I think when it comes to timing and rhythm and recognition, 
where we try to put our emphasis is, is not on get the foot down earlier, but is let's talk about your gather, let's talk about your settle, let's talk about your load, but any of those movements that get you ready, 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 and then stride. And I think a cool thing you can do with machines, which we do a lot of, I love machines. I got it from professional baseball, but we love machines with our guys. And for us, machines, you can define stride timing. So guys put the ball up as it starts to go down, you can stride. Or when the ball disappears, you can stride. Or when the ball comes out of the chute, you can stride. And you can start defining when you go. And then you can start because you're defining release point or release point timing you can start defining for yourself what your gather and what your settle is. And that's a big, from a mental standpoint, go back to your question is we spend a lot of time on guys gathers and settles, you know, and really trying to, to help guys what their rhythm is, you know, Gonzalez had a, just one of these. Yeah. That's what yeah. Nick, Joey had a little bit of a settle, you know, giving New Mexico state names to Chad in the area with the angels. So, um, Everybody has a different trigger, and I think that's as a hitting coach, you have to really define that form, or at least allow them to know what it is, and you've got to know it as a hitting coach, so then we can work together on their timing and their rhythm. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and you've had some great players. You've had Nick Gonzalez, you just mentioned, was uh, just became a first-round pick uh, with the Pirates. Went from uh, he's he's actually a real great story, you know, talking to him. And when you guys don't have that. Uh, Washington State, they're in the Pac-12, New Mexico State, they're in these leagues. And sometimes you don't get that offer, right, out of high school where Nick Gonzalez, he was a walk-on at New Mexico State. Maybe maybe share his story. I'll let, I'll let you tell his story about um, how it really worked out for him. You know, in college, you know, you're, you recruit two years out. And we, we hammered Arizona as we should have. Um, you know, you had Interstate 10 at New Mexico State. And, so, and there was a name that kept coming across our desk that was, hey, this guy's a, he's a grinder, tough guy, you know, center field, shortstop, catcher, kind of does it all. Um, we, he had a down junior year. Um, he had had an unbelievable sophomore year. We saw Nick and uh, everybody had said, unbelievable makeup, work ethic, all of those things. And we saw him and we thought, good player. Um, you know, 25% type player. I'm really proud to say that because, you know, kids can – kids can change and kids yeah. can develop if they have the right mindset and, and desire and all those things if the athleticism is close. And I thought, we thought Nick was a good player, um, but we were out of our scholarship slots. You know, we weren't willing to, to give another one um, in his freshman year. We were like, man, this, we're, we're too over. We're going to have to cut somebody. And we were really into not doing that. Right. So, anyway, so Nick's, hey, Nick, you're going to walk on your freshman year and then we'll give you money your, your second and third year. But and in doing that, too, the story is very simple. Look, we also did that because we thought he was probably going to redshirt. Mm -hmm. Play as a sophomore. And I, I love the story. Yeah, he'll probably be a redshirt, going to play center field. You know, and, and now he's a unanimous freshman All-American. He's playing second base. And, you know, and, and you realize very quickly um, how players become great, you know, and how do they become great. Well, Nick Gonzalez made me a better coach. You know, I'd show up every day to that team and talk in the dugout. That's what we did. That was our classroom. We didn't have a classroom setting like we're going to have here. Mm -hmm. Our classroom was in the dugout every day for our 10 or 15 minutes of mental game training or, or process or approach or attitude, or a lot of accountability, responsibility talks. And, and then that guy would, I mean, he'd burn a hole through me every day. 
and he, <laughs> and he burned the hole through us in recruiting too. And so did his family, you know, and it's like, you put the pieces together and that's, that's what you're really trying to recruit. You know, you're trying to recruit great parents. You're trying to recruit a, a brother who plays football at Navy yeah. uh, now in the military. I mean, and then you're, you're in the recruiting process. You're looking at a player who does not budge, does not fold is any, and you know it, that he has enough awareness that when you're putting somebody through the ringer for an hour and a half, talking to him, and you're really evaluating if they're going to do this or if they're going to roll their eyes with their parents or if they're going to have enough of respect for the presentation to, to stay locked in, which is very challenging. You know, those are all things that really stood out to us. But still, we had no clue. And, and I'm proud to say that, you know, I'm proud to say that uh, it, it, I, our staff says it all the time with Nick, but it's like, or I say it to our staff, if any of us in our staff go out and say, oh, yeah, I saw it coming. Well, two things. Number one, why didn't we offer this kid a scholarship? That's, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is why weren't we on him early? Right. Yeah. And he blew up right in front of our face and he, he was committed from day one to work, process, nutrition, his body. And he has a, a, a relentless thought process of I'm always going to be replaced or I'm always going to lose my job. And boy, I mean, what a, what a great mindset to have in athletics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Great story. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. And, and to, to top it off so that he, he was just became a first round pick went from a, a walk on in New Mexico state, one of the, and that became basically the, really the player of the year this past year and became what now he's the first round pick for the pirates. Unbelievable. And, 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 and see, it was unbelievable, you know, and, and to, to be the first first rounder ever at New Mexico State. But I mean, to be the seventh overall, to be really the best hitter in college baseball, uh, to have the fastest hands in college baseball. And that is one thing that he did not have. He didn't have a slow bat by any stretch. Um, but he had a nice, solid, compact short swing, but he swung a little bit uphill. He was a little bit inside everything. And all of a sudden it clicks for him in New Mexico State and the bat speed just blows up. And then he understands what to do with that. You know, he understands I've got tremendous bat speed. Because of that, I'm not going to have a pull approach. I'm going to have a right center approach. I can react to pull. And now I'm going to become a tremendous hitter. I'm going to wait as long as I possibly can before I go, which is why he's dominating, you know, out, out in, in minor league baseball right now. Any hitter who has the ability to wait for a long time has the ability to hit. So that's why you dominate one mechanics. And then dominate too. If you can get a proper mechanic, then you can get a new approach. And if you have approach, uh, and you can trust your hands and wait, wait, wait as long as you can and then go, you can have a chance to hit. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, I wanted to maybe touch on one more point because I I have to imagine with the the places you've been, uh, some of the coaches that you've been with, as an assistant. Um, and again, we haven't even kind of dived into all that type of stuff yet. But talk about from a, a culture standpoint, I know you bring a lot of energy and, and I've seen you work in action um, in being around the college atmosphere. Some guys just bring it every single day and, and maybe it's personality, but you have energy. Where do you get your energy from and how does that trans really translate to your players with the culture you bring? I mean, I'm, I'm blessed. I love what I do. Um, I mean, I love what I do. I love this because I love talking about the game. Uh, I get my energy from it, which is very, it's such a great question, Chad, because I, 
I think all everybody has energy. Uh, but when I say everybody has energy, it doesn't necessarily get exposed or expressed unless you're around the proper environment. You know, I think if you look at coaches or, or, or just, just to use baseball as an example, there are certain teams where you go to the field flat because the environment is poor. Uh, it's, it's, it's defeated. Uh, it's negative. You lose hope, all of those things. Uh, my energy is through the roof right now. And that starts with my coaches. I mean, I've got our staff, which I've learned and just being, you know, I don't know, 14 schools, um, you know, those great teams that we were a part of and those, those awesome environments and those special memories that we have as coaches. I, it starts with the coaching staff being together and on the same page playing your position effectively and then having good people. So for us, we have a staff that is very trusting. Uh, we trust each other. We communicate. Uh, we're a mafia, if you will. I mean, we're together on all the time. Um, and it's great. Our families are together all the time, but I think we have that, but we work at it. And that's where it starts is, is I think at the, from a leadership team perspective, you know, the CEO has got to be investing in the leadership team. You've got to create a safe environment where there's trust. And, but you have to work at it. It's, it's not just something that's going to come. It starts with the hiring process and then it, it goes into, you know, who you have on your team. So, I mean, we really, really work at it. We do, we do personality testing and personality index testing with our coaches. And we do that so we understand that we're all different people and that we can work together more effectively. Um, so we can avoid conflict because there's going to be conflict. Um, and then it goes into the players. We put a premium on the locker room and we put, and we do, and we, but we work at it. You know, it's, I don't, we don't want to see this. We just want to see intensity. We want to see Gonzalez burning through your head. And so for us, the energy I really think is based on the environment. And I think as a head coach, I put a lot of stock in that because I want to be excited about going to work every day. I want to feel great. I don't want to have any negative energy out there any undertones, silos, any of that stuff that is so easy for all of us to, to have. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to Chad for us is just our oath is that we recognize the privilege to be a member of this team and that we promise to place the needs of the team above my own. That's the, the, the opening stanza of our team's oath. And it's just as the head coach, you better walk the walk. And I'm a trust guy. I'm a relationship guy. It's really important to me. It's really important to our staff that our players know that we care about them. We're in. And I just think it comes down to what we say in the recruiting process to families. We say we're going to do these three things. And I want to make sure that we do that every day. And that gives me energy uh, on a daily basis. But I think at the end of the day, those things are the primary. Um, and then the, the second primary thing is just, you know, caring for one another and knowing that lose this opportunity tomorrow, you know, and um, I mean, I'm a baseball coach at the division one level. I'm very, very fortunate and I do not take that for granted and I never will. Um, and I think that's, if you look at Nick Gonzalez, it's kind of where he is. He's got that attitude. I just right. think that, I mean, I could talk for years on, on energy, but I, I really think it's the environment and I think it's, it's the environment that the staff and the team promotes and creates. And I think you have to work at it. It doesn't just happen. I don't think you strike lightning. I think you really have to work at it. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe one last piece of advice and we'll wrap this up. And I appreciate the time that you've given me. I know as a, as a D1 coach, you gotta, even though you have an off day, you're like, I got 10 things I got to do today. So maybe one last piece of advice on, let's talk about just briefly parents. 
what advice do you have for parents? Maybe they're looking at your school. What, what advice do you give them? Um, do your homework uh, with regards to, you know, what the program is about. Um, but but um, let, let your kid or let your, your son or let the players talk. Um, you know, and, and I know recruiting is early, but I think it's really important that families understand that we are really looking at you, the family. And in fact, at the, at the young age, you know, um, freshman and sophomore recruiting at the power five level, you know, a lot of, of what we're evaluating is, are the families. Uh, and we will run from, from parents who are, um, or families who, you know, blame coaches or unaccountable because at the end of the day, we're trying to, this is a, this is my livelihood and mm -hmm. we want to bring in good people. So the greatest advice that I could give would just teach, teach, teach the players to be accountable and responsible and everything that they do, every, every bad hop that happened, every missed strike call that happened, every poor lineup decision that happened. I just think if the player can constantly think, it's my fault. It's my responsibility. Um, that's the most powerful thing, the way you could think, in my opinion. Um, because like we tell our players here, if you think that way, if you don't hit, it's your fault. And I also think if you don't hit, it's my fault. And if we all think that way, then we hold the cards to be great. Right. And I think that's just so – and so many of us are looking to – you know, defend ourselves on social media. Uh, so many of us, we're just not concerned about that. So I would just say that the greatest advice you could give is to have your son think that he holds all of the cards all the time. If he's not in the lineup, it's, it's his fault. He's not doing enough to get into the lineup. Well, the coach will make him like you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> end of story, find a way to be successful. And if you're not successful, it's on you. You're not putting in the work. You're not putting in the proper work. You're not giving off the right attitude. You're sending them, whatever it is. And I, I think if we can express that to each other, life really becomes pretty easy. Um, and then I'd say the last thing is just tell, tell be honest, tell the truth. You're too slow. Uh, your body needs to change. You got to speed up the bat, uh, you know, whatever, just be honest. And I think that really alleviates a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of stress and tension and a lot of relationships to be honest love it that's awesome yeah it's uh it's interesting just talking to parents observing with parents and and then you could tell when you're in a dugout or something when a kid is not taking accountability you know whether it's their actions it's their behavior um they they went over four their their heads spinning right and then they're blaming the pitcher they're blaming the umpire things that are out of their control um, so it, it's interesting, especially at the, the younger age in high school when you're in a dugout with those kids. And then by the time they get to college, hopefully they, they've learned those lessons that they can't keep blaming other people for, for their mistakes. So it, that's great. I love that advice. That's awesome. Coach Bergeron had a good one yesterday. We were talking to our base runners and he said, guys, you should never get, and we have, you know, we have all these base running rules and, and, and there are certain things that you look for that determine, okay, we're not going to get picked off here and we should never get picked off on just about every situation, except primarily if we're stealing and that, then it can happen. But other than that, we have rules that we follow, but coach Bergeron told our base runners yesterday, he said, guys, if you get picked off on a Bach move and we have nothing on and it's a 
absolute illegal Bach move and you get picked off, do not think that Coach Green is going to run out on the field because it is your fault because you didn't follow our rules. So don't blame the umpire. And it's just that that's just a little tiny example. But, you know, yeah. I think that way all the time, you know, it's just, it, it's something that we train and it's something that we really try to develop. But obviously from the recruiting standpoint, looking at families young, uh, boy, you sure like to look at accountability as a, as a primary source of projection uh, for that young man to be a, to be a really good player potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been great coach. I, I appreciate your time. I know you got to get back to work there in uh, Pullman and hopefully you got some good weather. Hopefully the, the smoke clears out of there and you can get back to work and not work in gas masks. And <laughs> so, but man, I appreciate your time and we will, we'll be in touch and we'll keep doing this down the road too. Sounds good, Chad. Take care and thanks for the opportunity. All right. Take care. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with coach green, man. That was awesome. Talked about hitting, talked about certain aspects of the mental game you could really kind of sense how he really likes to simplify things. So if you're looking to get recruited from Washington state, make sure you do your research parents, make sure you let the kid have conversations with the coaches. Don't dominate the conversation. Let your son talk to the coach. So that's great advice. Want to make sure you're also aware of my one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm doing individual with athletes around the country, baseball, softball, it really doesn't matter what sport. But if you want to have more information and get more information on that, email me at chad at mentaledge.coach. So thanks again for listening to this episode, and I will see you in the next show. Take care.